This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Good morning. The first lesson today is from Amos, the seventh chapter. This is what the Lord God showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from this land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, earn your bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Holy wisdom, holy word. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. King Herod heard of the disciples preaching, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter, Salome, came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. 
And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? And she replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved. Yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. I have to admit, several weeks ago when Kevin Lawson asked me if I would preach while Pastor Childs was on vacation and he gave me the dates, I didn't look at the lessons. I said, sure, I'm available, I'll be glad to preach. And then I saw that I was preaching on the beheading of John the Baptist. I'm not sure I would have picked this Sunday to preach otherwise. I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's begin with our Old Testament reading first this morning. In our Old Testament lesson from the book of Amos, we have several characters. First, we have God, Yahweh. And then we have Amos, God's prophet. And then we have Israel as a nation, a people. And then we have King Jeroboam, who is Israel's king. And then there's Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. Now, Bethel is the religious center for the northern kingdom of Israel, much as Jerusalem was the religious center for the southern kingdom of Judah. It was the heart of the nation, just as Jerusalem was the heart of the nation for the southern kingdom. Now, Amaziah was the priest of Bethel. That is, he was the chief religious leader. He had been anointed by King Jeroboam to do the king's bidding, just as his father had before him. Amaziah, from a very early age, was groomed and he was educated to assume the lofty position of the priest of Bethel. Amos, on the other hand, was a simple shepherd and a tender of an orchard of fig trees. He was a working-class man, and he lived in the southern kingdom of Judah. He had neither the formal education of Amaziah nor the pedigree and ordination of Amaziah, the king's priest. But God calls Amos to discipleship. God calls him away from the flock and from the orchard that he attended, and he sends him up north to Israel to proclaim God's word there. 
Now, Israel was led by King Jeroboam and supported by Amaziah. Israel had gone crooked. They had strayed from God and from God's covenant with Israel. Idolatry was rampant. Injustice abounded. The rich got richer while the poor got poorer. Alliances with heathen nations were the norm for Jeroboam. Does any of this sound familiar? This is what Amos confronted. And his message was that God was going to punish Israel for her unfaithfulness. Amos said, Jeroboam is going to die by the sword. That is, he is going to die a very violent death. And Israel will be defeated and will be carted off to live in exile. Amos's message was not popular. People don't like to be told that they're rotten and crooked. On the other hand, Amaziah and Jeroboam, they were very popular folks. Israel was flourishing under them as she made her pacts with heathen nations. Amos proclaimed that their prosperity and their favor would be very short-lived as God's justice would sweep down upon Israel in the form of the Assyrian army. Amaziah contacts King Jeroboam to tell him that this northern troublemaker of no degree named Amos was trying to stir up trouble in the land. The king says to Amaziah, his priest, and his fixer, if you will, he says, you take care of it. Get rid of him. So Amaziah says to Amos, get the heck out of here. Go back to Judah. Let them pay you. Let them hear your prophecy. But don't show up here again or you will regret it. To which Amos replies, I'm not a prophet like you, nor was my father a prophet like your father. I am a simple shepherd and farmer. But God called me from that and sent me to Israel. It wasn't a simple, easy job, especially for a farmer and a shepherd like Amos. But faithful discipleship demanded that he proclaim the Lord's word to the religious and the political leaders of his day. Now added to this is our story of the beheading of John the Baptist and our gospel from St. Mark. King Herod Antipas not to be confused with King Herod the Great. King Herod the Great was king when Jesus was born. Upon his death, his kingdom was divided into thirds, and his three sons took over a third. Each of them took a third of the kingdom. It was called a tetrarchy. King Herod Antipas was the tetrarch of the area called Galilee. He had had John the Baptist arrested and thrown into prison because of John's vociferous attacks upon Herod. Herod was living a rather questionable lifestyle. He had had an illicit affair with his brother Philip's wife. Her name was Herodias. He even married her after divorcing his own wife. 
Now this, along with other questionable dealings, was attacked by John the Baptist without hesitation and without reserve. And John's faithful, prophetic preaching ended up costing John his life as he was beheaded by Herod so that Herod could save face in front of his family and his influential leaders who had gathered for his birthday party. It is a rather gory and pathetic story all in all, and it's a sad commentary on the cost of being a faithful disciple of the Lord. Interestingly, Mark places this story of John's beheading immediately following our gospel reading last week, where Jesus is rejected in his hometown of Nazareth and where he sends his disciples out two by two, warning them that they are going to experience rejection. Which brings us to today. What does it mean for us in our day and in our world to be faithful disciples? What is our prophetic role? There are those, to be quite honest, perhaps some of you, who feel that church and politics should not mix. There are those over the years who have admonished me to leave politics out of the pulpit. I can remember one occasion many years ago when a parishioner once said to me after the sermon, Pastor, you crossed the line today. You stopped preaching and you started meddling. I laughed, thinking it was a joke, but I knew deep down it was not intended as a joke. Our lessons today proclaim to us that religion, faith, and politics, they do mix. They sometimes collide. Faithful disciples are people who do not bury their heads in the sand, remaining blind and speechless and indifferent in the face of injustice and oppression and aggression and cruelty. Faithful disciples proclaim to the world and its leaders and encourage them and assist them in identifying, addressing, and correcting injustice, working for peace and for the well-being of all, not just for the wealthy and the powerful elite. Faithful disciples are to be advocates for the poor, for the oppressed, for those who have been disenfranchised. We are to be disruptors of the status quo as we proclaim God's word and proclaim to the kingdoms of man what the kingdom of God is all about. Today's scripture readings remind us that being faithful disciples is not a comfortable, easy thing. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus says to his disciples and followers, he says, I have not come to bring peace. I come with a sword. I will be the cause for a house divided. If we are faithful in our proclamation, there will likely be conflict between the representatives of Christ and the representatives of this world. Each week as we gather for worship, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, your kingdom come, your will be done.
as opposed to our kingdoms and our wills. Faithful disciples are ones who are actively proclaiming God's will, taking on the establishment and the civic leaders when necessary, doing things like a century and a half ago attacking slavery, or dismantling apartheid in our own lifetime, or speaking up against racism and bigotry, taking on the tobacco industry and the pornography industry and sex trade and all those things that exploit other people. There is much that goes on around us that we do not, dare not ignore if we are faithful disciples. Too often the church and well-intentioned Christians have sat idly by believing that religion and politics should not mix, or refusing to get involved claiming a policy of separation of church and state. Those of us who think such should remember what happened in Germany with the rise of Hitler and the subsequent Holocaust in our own day. It was a time when the church should have gotten involved and spoken up and denounced Hitler, but didn't. You and I might, always, might not always agree on the solutions to a problem, but we dare not ignore the problem, stating that there's nothing that we can do or nothing that we should do. Do you know that the ELCA provides a legislative tracking and lobbying agency in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill. It used to be called the Lutheran Office for Governmental Affairs. It has a new name now, and I'm not sure what that name is. But when our church takes a particular stance on a social issue, say like gambling or pornography or environmental protection or immigrations or drugs and violence or abortion or discrimination, or cloning, whatever the issue may be. The Lutheran Office for Governmental Affairs is there tracking legislation, bringing the church's influence to bear on those who make and uphold the laws of our land. The office keeps the church informed of what's happening on Capitol Hill. Many of the synods of our ELCA have their own state offices for governmental affairs tracking social issues at the state level and educating congregations of what is happening and influencing legislatures of, our, of what our church's position is on particular social issues. Using the imagery of Amos in today's Old Testament lesson, God's people are to be active in holding up that plumb line in our society helping to advocate for the kingdom of God right here on earth. Today, Amos and John the Baptist are held up as models of faithful discipleship. Their faithful discipleship required them to speak up for God, taking on the social justice issues of their day as they confronted the religious and political leaders. Their proclamation didn't win them money or friends. It cost John his life. But Jesus never said being a faithful disciple 
would be easy. Now, we can be armchair disciples or we can be frontline disciples. The examples of faithfulness that we are shown today are not armchair disciples. They are disciples who are on the front line speaking prophetically in God's name. You and I are called to hold up that plumb line to society so that we can encourage everybody to show that extravagant grace, that relentless compassion, and that radical inclusion that we so believe in that God gives us. And so I ask us as we finish today, how prophetic is our discipleship in our ministry? Amen.